everyone. Even though uh, I am out here in San Francisco, I'd briefly thought about for a little while changing the time that we started these shows because 7.30 seemed unreasonable. But if I'm going to ask other people from the West Coast to be on, that seemed like a real dick move. So I wasn't going to shift it around when uh, I asked uh, Supergiant's Greg Kasavin uh, to join us because that just that didn't seem like a very nice thing to do. So uh, thanks for getting up early, Greg. Yeah, no problem. Good to be here. Hi, Alex. Hi, Patrick. How are you doing? Hi, Greg. Good to have Hello. you. Why do you have a cake? Uh, I don't know. I just thought that would be kind of a funny thing to have. No reason, really, <laughs> to speak of whatsoever. Nothing yeah, I can you, think of. I believe this. I believe they call this fishing for compliments, Alex. What? What are you trying to say? What? You, what? No. 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 There's nothing important happening today. Nothing significant <laughs> at all. I would never begin to imply such a thing. I. You're, you're like you're like twenty. On. You're like twenty-three years old today, right? I mean, maybe mentally, yeah. Uh, I'm actually 32 years old today, so that's a little, <laughs> maybe a little bit depressing to think about. But yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, well, congratulations, Alex. You somehow survived another year. Happy birthday. It is against birthday. all odds. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, so this is the, we made it through PlayStation 4 launch weekend. The world is still around us. Um, mm. I, we now have a new term, I guess, the blue was it the the blinking blue light of death or yes. something along those lines which people have immediately gravitated towards um, uh, Greg did you did you pick up uh, a PS4 or are you uh, are you waiting out uh, a little bit we've got one uh, I don't have one personally we've got one at the at the studio that that we kind of got set up and downloaded uh, Reso gun for um, stuff like that so yeah j- got to get my feet wet with it is is it a little weird where I guess at this point you know that this console cycle was so long this is the first one where you're not an editor right like yeah, this is the, your first one on the dev side well I mean not not counting the old old ones but yeah it's the first one in a while um, yeah that I just get to sit on the I guess I'm still it, it's not so weird since I'm still in games professionally um, and you know I still like read all the news and all that stuff, so I, I feel like I'm a part of it, but yeah, the part where I don't get to, like, review any of the games, I'm a little bit, like, <laughs> feel uh, a little antsy about, but it seems like it's it's all in good hands. I, I feel very well informed. The critical side of you is just, like, aching to get out, like, you just want to, like, assign numbers to things, <laughs> like, you're just running around the house, like, ah, oh, that thing yeah. was six, I don't, ah! Maybe a little tiny bit of that. All right, yeah. all right, it's understandable. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, this morning especially, I think, is when a, a lot of the Xbox One reviews, yep. uh, the embargo came up, so there are some thoughts going out on... I think the only game I didn't see was Rise. I didn't see Rise reviews anywhere yet, but there maybe there might be a reason uh, yeah, for I that. Forza, <laughs> isn't Forza also, like, a later embargo or something like that? Yeah, yeah. a lot of yeah. that game is online, right, and right. so until people can kind of get on and do that stuff, yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I guess, you know, you, you know, Greg, you know, with uh, Transistor, you guys are, you know, working uh, on the PS4 and showed that game yeah. off a little bit early. Do you do you remember the first time that you, like, saw the machine and sat down with it? Uh, uh, we, uh, like, in terms of the actual, like, physical appearance of it, we saw it at the same time as um, as everyone else, which I, I guess was E3, right? When they, or was it earlier yeah. than that? Yeah, no, it was E3 when, when we saw it kind of in the flesh. Um, up until then, we... Uh, you, you know, we'd only been dealing with the dev kit. We'd seen the controller and stuff, so we got um, that in particular 
it's funny, you know, reading all the impressions of, of people with the controller. We've been lucky in that regard that we've been playing with the final controller pretty much since um, since around E3 time, if not a little bit earlier. There was like one uh, iteration on it that was nearly final uh, that we had. So we liked the controller uh, really early on. Um, and uh, other than that, you know, we're working toward like a hardware spec, right? It's like it's just kind of a set of numbers and a and a dev kit. I think until you see like the consumer product, you know, the sleek industrial design or whatever, it, it doesn't uh, quite seem like it's a real thing. Um, yeah. So it's still cool, yeah, to have it kind of come to life finally. Yeah, there there is still something kind of magical in a way of, you know, especially when you see these dev kits and, and the fact that it is really just a PC with recommended specs that you, you know, sort of work against and the promise that that will be in a box that is sold right. for, for money later. But then when it actually does become that, uh, I don't know, there's still something really cool about it because, you know, when people build a PC and stuff like that, you know, you can build it as big or as small as you want. It's kind of up to you how you customize that. But there's something cool about, like, they designed a box, they shoved it in there. And then I love watching, even though I don't understand them, like all the teardown videos and they try and figure out, you know, exactly how much they're they're making off of these machines based on what they put into them. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, consoles are like... They're such a key. They're, they're obviously only one. They're only one part of uh, of gaming, but they're such they're such a key part uh, in the in the history of games. Um, so, like a new, and especially since, like you said, it's been so long since the last console cycle. This is a, a one way or another. It's an important moment with these these machines coming out. So yeah, I think like everyone else, I've just been kind of dying to see what, what happens with them and what the launch, what all the launch games are like and you know, what people have to say and all that. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I'm dying Alex to know what you think of knack. Oh God. Yeah, that's the one you want to start <laughs> off with. Cause I have more positive impressions of some of the other PS4 games. All right, let's, let's start play. there. Well, let's work our way towards knack. Cause I think okay. that, that you not liking knack is maybe not the biggest surprise in, no. in the world. No, and I have plenty to say about that. But I, I will say that, by and large, everything else I've played on the system so far, I've I've enjoyed quite a lot. Um, I, I played a whole bunch of Resogun over the weekend, basically, as my one... I'm not reviewing this, but I'm going to play it anyway game, because uh, it's, you know, something I can jump in and out of pretty quickly, and it's really good. Like, that's one of the better, you know, dual-stick shooters I've probably played in a good long while, and it's, a you know, kind of a good... You know, not necessarily a direct analog to something like Geometry Wars or uh, Super Stardust HD or whatever, but it's it's it, it fits into that vein nicely. Um, I've mostly had to kind of stick to sports stuff because I've been trying to get through that, you know, that 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 business as much as possible. But NBA 2K14, like, you want that one sports game that really kind of shows off what the the hardware can do, what the you know what what it's capable of, and that is definitely the one. Um, Madden, I could totally give or take, like, gather yeah, some improvements here and there, but it's basically the same game you already played on other consoles for the most part. Uh, but but two, NBA looks pretty phenomenal, and the changes they actually made, like, the stuff they upgrade, like, they actually changed a bunch of stuff in the different modes, so, like, it's not just a rehash of what, you know, the game they already put out earlier in the year. So that, that's been the one that, to me, has been, like, technologically and just gameplay-wise has, like, hooked me the hardest. I still need to play uh, AC4 and, and Need for Speed, though. Those are the two that I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm going to jump on next as soon as all this sports business is out of the way. We, we were talking about this during the stream, and, <clears throat> and we didn't have a chance to, to have you chime in because you would you'd probably have a better opinion than any of us on that couch mm -hmm. did. But it was, you know, which do you prefer? Would you, do you prefer, like, the NBA 
2K game where you know you get a, a vast upgrade visually, but the, you get the traditional beginning of the generation stripped away features that are kind of incrementally added over time as they rebuild them, or you get something <clears throat> like what EA has done with with Madden. It doesn't look that much better, but it is by and large the same game, and you're not starting from square one on features. I think the problem for me is that those are two of the weird, like, those are off-kilter examples from those examples you were trying to make, because mm. NBA 2K14, while it does strip some stuff, it strips stuff you don't care about for the most part, like the, the the you know, the my GM mode is still in there, the, the, the single-player career mode is still in there, and with all the visual upgrades and animation upgrades and, you know, just, like, the all the other stuff they put in there, like, it doesn't feel like you're really missing all that much. Like, yeah, the LeBron mode's gone. Oh, darn. You know? <laughs> but as far as Madden goes, it's like, this year's Madden wasn't really that spectacular or impressive to begin with. So leaving all that stuff in there is fine. It's nice that, you know, Ultimate Team's still there and that the connected franchise stuff is still there. But, like, that visual engine does not look like it belongs on current hardware on the new hardware like it looks like they just way up res what they already had which looks a little better but dude I'm sorry Madden players have always kind of looked like mutants to me like that visual engine needs a pretty serious overhaul and I don't think they're going to do that for any time in the immediate future unfortunately uh, <clears throat> was, there, was, there, was there anything else you played this weekend that, that left a positive impression uh, you know I played some more sound shapes and some more flower uh, and, you know, I mean, I realize those are old games, but uh, I wanted to see how they, they looked on the new thing. And, you know, Flower with the new, uh, with the DualShock 4 is definitely a much easier game to control uh, than I remember it being on the on the DualShock 3. And Soundshape still rules. Like, that's probably my, you know, 2012 game of 2013. You know, like, that game is still really rad. And, uh, it you know, it looks super great on the, on the, the high-res, you know, blown up for a PS4. Looks really great. Yeah, I think Flower looks really great too, and I, I, you know, I'm one of those people that that really deeply enjoyed that game. Um, and all, all it kind of made me start itching for was, you know, hoping that Sony continues to do this, and that these weren't yeah. just two games that they wanted to kind of cheaply buff up the launch lineup. Because man, would I love to see and play Journey again, you know, oh, yeah. bumped up in the in the same way. So I'm hopeful that it's not not just sort of a one off, and that maybe. You know they will try and find a balance between the Gaikai stuff being a, a more effective, cheaper mass solution to playing mm -hmm. your old uh, archive stuff, but that there are maybe a sort of selection of very specific games that they think will benefit from you know getting the actual re-engineering work. Um, you know, you know we mentioned that on Friday. Like I couldn't help but be slightly disappointed that there was no PS4 Last of Us, uh, just because there are sometimes some very specific games that. You know, part of the, the fun of getting a new PC uh, is going back and playing all of the, the games that you couldn't quite run at, at, like, sort of the highest of settings, and then just having fun seeing a game look, like, completely badass when you've gotten a new graphics card. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I guess we have to talk about Knack uh, now, don't we? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose you should let the people know what you think of Knack. It's not good. It's it's not good at all. I'm sorry. Like I, I I went into it trying to be as open-minded about it as possible because you know you want there to be like you know a good cute fun kind of you know mascot platform game you know available at a console launch and I don't know man Knack Knack feels like they tried to take a tech demo and turn it into something kids will like like it just mm. feels like they 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 created a wireframe character someone said hey that looks cute let's make a game around that and then they did it and it's 
it's just the blandest, most devoid of personality thing I've played in a good long while. It has no charm to it at all. Visually, very impressive. Like, technically speaking, very impressive. But artistically, just bereft of merit. You know, just, it's a repetitive, sometimes challenging, but maybe annoyingly so, not really enjoyably so kind of platformer. And it just kind of... Like, it takes itself weirdly seriously for how just kind of dumb and bland it is. I, I, the whole time I was playing it, I was just just kind of had my mouth open a little. Like, I can't believe they sunk a whole bunch of resources into this. Like, it's Blinks-esque, and it's just total lack of, 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 of anything worth really getting interested in. I'm sorry. I wish, I'm sorry to drop the Blinks bomb, but that's, that, is, that is how much I don't like it. Is it... Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I was trying to figure out was whether that game was going to be end up uh, sort of just painfully average or if it was actually just outright bad. Like, here's here's the question. Would, we had this conversation, but let's remind people. Like, what did you think of Cameo? I thought Cameo was okay. Um, I didn't love it, but it, it's de- it definitely, like, for me, was a little bit of that. I don't really... Fu- I'm not getting a whole lot of personality out of this, but I think I was just a little bit more into what it was trying to do than what Knack is trying to do, because Knack is just the same repetitive battles over and over and over again with some light platforming thrown in. So there's just not really much to latch onto there. I mean, it's difficult, but it's not engaging or fun or exciting in any particular way. So it's, like, aggressively mediocre is the way I would describe it. Hmm. Hmm. Um, well, well, Greg, I, I have to imagine... Like, unless you have a completely contrary opinion that Resogun is not a game that is, like, most people have struck them as, as mediocre. Like, did you have time to, to put any uh, put any significant time into it? Uh, I didn't I didn't put a ton of time into it, but I, but it's, like, it's it, it's not a game that, that takes a long time to, like, appreciate. I think it's, um, you know, partly by its nature. It's like an arcade game, right? So it's, um, I kind of, I, I'm, I've been around long enough to where I, like, catch the Defender reference. Because <laughs> um, it's like a, it's kind of a reimagining of that old game, um, where where you kind of like can fly infinitely left or right, and you're trying to like save Earthlings, you know, from getting whisked away by by aliens and stuff like that. And um, all all of that, how how that was uh, balanced out with with some of the new mechanics, seemed like really fun. Um, and the way you know the even just like technically the uh, you go into your crazy overdrive mode and turn everything into voxels or whatever the screen just like explodes with uh, little little fragments of things it's 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 pretty exciting just uh, in terms of its presentation and it seemed like a lot of cool stuff going on um, as far as the scoring and and all that so I was I was um, happy to hear that that game it seemed like it was kind of coming in coming in under the radar I don't know that a lot of people had even heard about it until like a couple of weeks ago but it's like uh, part of the fun thing around these console launches is like the games that turn out to be the best games aren't necessarily the ones that you would go in expecting. And this is like a pretty good, I, I think the geometry wars analogy is a really, really good one. I get like big time uh, geometry wars uh, vibes from it, just from the presentation and kind of how it makes you feel overall. It's very, uh, very fast paced and, and everything. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think we mentioned this on, on Friday that it's, I don't think it's a big shock that the sort of smaller scale, you know, not micro-budget, but definitely, like, in terms of scope and scale, like, you can see how Resogun fits a little bit better into sort of a launch production cycle than some of the bigger, flashier stuff that is really sort of relying on, 
like a lot of the weird dev kit eccentricities that are just sort of natural to launch. So when some of that stuff comes in hot or you know maybe isn't yeah. as exciting gameplay wise, it's not that much of a shock because uh, you you sort of need those games for the flashy commercials. But it's nice that you know you get to launch and you sort of realize, well, what's the game that's actually fun to play, even if it's you know not the big flashy thing that maybe I technically bought this machine to show off. Right, right. Um, yeah, I want to I know how uh, Marvel Super Heroes is for PS4 because that seems like the uh, that seems like the kind of token you know kid friendly. Oh, the Lego game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that um, that game sounds like it's. I haven't played it yet. It seems really good. My, I my... played it. I, I played it a while ago. It actually yeah. is pretty damn good. Um, it's it's definitely like one of the better better Lego games in terms of you know size of world and number of things to do and the roster in that game is ridiculous. Like yeah. they, they go super deep on the on the Marvel stuff. So it's 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 pretty good. I would recommend it. Yeah, um, my, my kid is obsessed. Uh, my three year old is already completely obsessed with. Um, Mar- just only wears like a- Avengers clothing, so I think, uh, <laughs> oh, he'll love this. <laughs> he'll he'll love on this a, on a holiday list or something. Does Does that mean you've already seen a Thor: The Dark World? I have. I have not. I I don't get out to movies uh, nearly enough. Um, I I like read. Uh, I read a lot of like movie reviews, but don't don't see enough of them. But uh, it sounded it sounded cool. I I thought. I thought the first one was like pleasantly surprised. I, I thought the first one was going to be terrible. It was one of those movies where, like, from the advertising and trailers and stuff, it just looked awful. And then it turned out like, hey, this is this is actually pretty good. I can't believe they pulled off Thor. Uh, I mean, that's debatable, but I, I my expectations were low, so um, I've come to really like. I think uh, Loki, the dude who plays Loki, is great. So I'm I'm down to see more of his more of his shtick in another movie. Do, do, you know, the fact that you're not going out to any movies right now, is that just par for the course, or are you guys sort of, like, heads down, like, really deep in development, and just you don't really have time for, for that other stuff? No, that's more like, that's more just, like, having kids, I think, more than, more than the work <laughs> part. Um, it, it, it may be a combination of the two. Um, yeah, it's it's just, like, takes takes some sort of momentous event to, like, drag me out to a movie theater these days. Um, it, yeah, in terms of where we are in development, we've been, um, we're not like, we're, you know, it was really important to us to like, we want to work in a sustainable way. Like if we just like crunch nonstop and work like 18 hours a day nonstop, then we, then we wouldn't be able to do this for the long haul. So after Bastion, it was really important to us to uh, figure out, you know, how we can, like more manageably work on a new game, and so that that means you know finding a good balance. In our case, like since we work in in on a pretty sketchy street in uh, San Francisco, like most means, people in San Francisco, you yeah, near a sketchy street. Yeah, you don't want to stay there too late, which actually kind of helps right. us. <laughs> we by the time it's like, yeah, by the time you know 8 p.m. or something rolls around, like, oh, we better we better head home. Um, and you know we still work from home and stuff some of the time, but yeah, it's still, we're, we wanted to give ourselves uh, all the time we needed on on this thing. Did Did you find you that you guys even if you know going into Bastion that you guys sort of ran into crunch regardless just because it was the first project and even if that was something you wanted to avoid? Um, crunch is like I think it's like a, it's really tricky to define. I think people have different definitions of it. Like we never. Um, we pushed ourselves, but there was never there was never a time when it's like you must work this many hours or whatever. It, it was just like our motivation to to make the best of of the situation we were in uh, resulted in us, you know, often 
working really long hours. Um, we were just like really fired up. Um, and we knew we were pushing ourselves really hard, but we also knew where, where like the finish line was and it wasn't, you know, so far, it wasn't like we could see the light at the end of the tunnel with Bastion because from the moment we, we announced that game at, at PAX prime in 2010, it's like, we knew that we wanted to ship the game the following summer. We were already pretty deep into development at that point. So we're like, Hey, if we could push these next few months and make, make, you know, exactly the game we want, it, it just felt worth it. I think to everyone on, on the project, but then after it came out, yeah, we, we had to, you know, we had to like, uh, like recover from that a little mm -hmm. bit for lack of a better word. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And then going into the next project, it's like, we, we have sort of, we, we've sort of bought ourselves more time in a way, uh, given how, um, th thanks to the success of Bastion, um, it means we could spend a little more time on, on this project. And, and that for us, that directly translates into like, well, we don't let, let's like work in a more sustainable fashion. Also knowing that we have like a longer uh, development cycle, it just means we can't like, we can't like physically push ourselves in the same way because we would have to do that for longer period of time and then we would just burn out or whatever. So um, a lot of us, myself included, were no strangers to like having to work, you know, lo long hours for consecutive days when, when push comes to shove. Um, but um, we, you know, we're all at different stages of our lives and stuff and we want to keep doing this for the, for the long haul. So yeah, it means, um, it means being really, really kind of self-aware around when you're starting to get fried and not even like let it, let it come to that. So, uh, at least for us, uh, I think you, so yeah, I, I'm really happy with how that's been going actually. And, and I'm just, uh, and I'm glad it's all sort of coming from a premise of being like very voluntary in our case, no matter what, because sometimes it's not. It seems, it seems like that that's the, the problem when you talk about stories of crunch and when you talk to different developers that, that the deal with crunch and that just, it, it's, you know, mo there seems to be a difference between like sort of the draconian publisher driven conspiracy theory version of crunch and then those moments when just when you work on anything you put in long hours and, and you do yeah. that as a group because um, it seems like the stories of the crunch time is is so specific to each game and each developer and and even each internal development philosophy of of how they handle that you know like I think Bungie has talked about in the past where they upfront in the production schedule sort of just budget out the crunch time and they and they I think they the way they did it in the past I'm not sure if that applies to destiny and and uh, but they actually have several different periods of crunch where there was like an early crunch a mid crunch and a late crunch so that you don't just have I think it was trying to solve what happened with Halo 2 which is where they just had like a sustained like eight month crunch that almost destroyed the company just to ship the game and then realizing that is just not a sustainable way if you want to keep talent uh, you know, over the long haul. Yeah. It, um, yeah. That's like, I, I've heard about that as well. Like um, around, you know, around major milestones, like it, one can expect, you know, um, more, more kind of hidden work um, and like, and, and potentially for a crunch time to occur. Now there, there, as, as, as you know, there are many different views on this um, on, like all across the scale, including some views that like no amount of crunch at, at any circumstance is acceptable and it's always a failure of management um, and so forth. Um, and there are good arguments to support that. Um, I, I personally, I just have never been the sort to like have to like 
like like the moment I have worked like eight hours in a day, I can't just like punch out. I can't I can't like plan my own work that way. I just want to work until I feel like I've done what I wanted to do for the day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I wish it were that simple, but um, you know, I don't I don't keep track of the time I'm working basically. So, um, but that's me, and thankfully I work at a small studio now where it's just like a less it's overall a less complicated issue than having to like plan around crunch for like a massive development team. You know, I, I previously worked at EA and stuff where it was like a much more, it was like a much more sensitive subject um, because yeah, it, it just affected so many more people. Um, when it's a small team, it's, it, it could be much more kind of case by case uh, with the individuals involved. And yeah, you just basically, if, if people can't crunch or, 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 and, and by, by crunch, I mean like, work past their eight hours um, mm-hmm. or whatever, then you, you just work around that. But yeah, it's never, it's never an issue where it's like, Oh, you know, sorry, you thought you weren't going to, but you have to, or something. Um, I do think that that sort of mandated uh, crunch is like pretty, I think it's rare. I'm not sure. Um, I think the more subversive thing of like, oh, we're a passion-driven studio and we're all working. Actually, like the thing I said earlier, I think that thing is <laughs> is much more is frankly much more common where people are like, oh, I do it because I want to. Um, that's like the you know again, there are some arguments even against that. It's like, oh, you have serious Stockholm sy- syndrome or whatever if you think that what you're doing is like worth you know the amount of energy you're putting into it. But hey. Um, who, who am I to, like, for me, it, it is worth it. Like, I, I love games, and, you know, Bastion was my, I'm glad I worked as hard as I did on Bastion. Um, I, I think, I think you know, the, the kind of feedback that we got was, like, we heard from a lot of people that they could tell that, like, people cared, that, that the people who made the game cared about it, and I think that comes through. I don't think, like, caring is like directly proportional to the hours you put into something but there's there's like some there, there's some component of that maybe i don't know like i don't i don't want to rock the crazy crunch boat but it's like it, i like that term though know. the crazy crunch boat yeah it's we've uh, used the it, word crunch so many times in the last like 10 yeah. minutes i'm sorry it's cool. i can't believe we're talking about this <laughs> it's a, it's always a always a hot topic you know, especially around these these launch games. Yeah, yeah. these games were made. You know, they had to they had to ship at a very specific time, and there there was no I suppose there was no easy way about that. Well, I mean, we, imagine you yeah. know, just not only just the developers working on those games, you know, on working on essentially moving targets, as you know, kind of been, been the yeah. example I've heard a lot. Imagine the people having to crunch on that hardware, trying to get that shit out to manufacturing yeah. as quick as humanly possible. Like that must have just been a nightmare, especially considering yeah. the, the the radical changes like Microsoft had to make to the to the Xbox before that thing went into production. Yeah, that was not. Uh, I, I I would only imagine it was not like a nine to five uh, operation these last few months <laughs> on these consoles or for anyone involved. Yeah, it's yeah. part of the. We're like we are not going to be. A launch game, and you know, to to all ye launch games, go with God. <laughs> yeah. You know, may, may may the Lord have mercy. Um, but yeah, we we uh, it, it didn't make any sense for us, uh, or we just weren't that far along. Like even if we really wanted it, I I think it would have been impossible for us. Um, so yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we're a little farther out and we'll let some of the dust settle. 
Was, was there sort of anything in particular that stood out when you know now that you're a couple of years into you know sort of you know making games professionally and making that sort of exclusively what you do that you know I think any of us on the writing side once you're in it for a long enough time you have a lot of sort of your preconceived notions or your idea of what it's like to make a game and then the realities of that are probably like a mixture of completely accurate and then completely inaccurate and and I wonder you know like a couple of years in is there anything that sort of sticks out that you thought that's how it was going to be and then it was completely different um I there isn't that much that's like that for me I, I think I went in I tried to go in with like realistic expectations in the sense that I knew that I knew that it wasn't I, I didn't just have stars in my eyes and think it was like gonna be just all wonderful all the time. And I was right. Like it's it's not. It's um it, it has its it has its ups and downs like anything and, and the downs, you know, can be pretty dark, uh, and the ups can be really exciting. Um so it's it's definitely been it's been like a crazy roller coaster ride for me, I think. I, I did not expect to like be here after all this. Um but the the thing a, a thing that did surprise me actually was like how just how important the the press was to game developers um, like i i didn't i didn't think they cared like i didn't think they cared that much um, but man when you know when one of our games would come out uh, at ea or something people were really you know people really cared about what the reviews said in a way that that took me somewhat by surprise um, and and yeah, when you know when their game got like bad reviews or something, like some people would take it um, really personally and and so on. And as as people tend to do, like even if there are ten you know really positive reviews, if there's one not so positive review, like they get really fixated right. on. They could get really fixated on that one. And it's people would sometimes ask me, it's like, oh man, doesn't this? They, like I think I think having worked um, in the gaming press, it made me like less vulnerable to, to reviews, not more so, because I just, like, I have hmm. some sort of empathy for what, for, for what critics do, um, so when, when there's, like, a bad review of something I worked on, I'm not just like, oh, I'm gonna kill that guy, you know, it's like, that, that is, like, I just, I just, you know, feel, uh, it's, it, there's no arguing with someone's experience, there's no point, it's like, that's just the experience that that person had, so if, if the game didn't, you know, it, you just have to be introspective about the game and realize something about it that, like, oh, unfortunately, it wasn't able to create a good experience for this person, and that's something that, as a game developer, you should internalize um, and think about, um, and whether whether you sort of, whether you could have done anything different or whether you even care that that person didn't have a good experience, and so I find that stuff very interesting to think about, um, and, and it doesn't, uh, and it doesn't really bother me overall, um, but uh, obviously, yeah, when you put a lot of time into something, you, you hope that um, the audience uh, enjoys it. But yeah, games, you know, it's a, it's a gory process, uh, game development, and it, every single game I've worked, I haven't worked on that many games, but it's like, I don't know, something like five at this point, so it's not too few. Uh, they've all been really, really different, um, and, and the standards are always changing, so it's hard to know what people are going to say um, when the thing is, is finally done, that's for sure. So, so getting the critical feedback is, is uh, now, I think, after all this time, I, I think I do understand why uh, game developers um, um, 
put put so much stock in it. But yeah, like I said, when I when I came in from GameSpot, I was like surprised at how how avidly uh, game developers were keeping up with the gaming press. I thought they were just all in their own worlds, just doing their own thing. You know, a lot of developers I've talked to, and I'm, I'm curious if you think this is is true as well. Is like one of one of the rubs that I think ends up happening when game reviews drop, um, that maybe ends up leading to uh, some tension between sort of the press and developer side, especially in sort of like the critical analysis phase. Is there is a tendency, and I and I I do my best to avoid this at all costs, and the stuff that I write um, to do a little sort of like armchair development, which is you know in your critical analysis sort of making suggestions of, well, they should have done it this way, or they should have done it that way, and that would have solved it. And and the problem therein being that, you know, most likely, you know, sometimes maybe it's not true, but most likely the developer has explored that option, or there is a reason that it didn't work out that way, and that, you know, it's one thing to just say why a thing is good or bad, and why it works and doesn't work, but that when you take the extra step to saying, well, had they done it this way, it all would have been fine, um... You know, is is maybe sometimes what what bothers some folks. Yeah, I think uh, that that's a really interesting point. Um, I do, I definitely see. That I have like heard that like frustration expressed by game developers. I, I look at it differently myself. It's like if a game like makes, if there's something about a game that that doesn't seem right, and there's some other solution that seems more obvious but isn't implemented, then that's still it's still a problem. Like even if even if the developers tried it and it didn't work, it's like they still exposed something in the game that like made made people think that, oh, it would have been better if it were this other way. So it's still problematic. Um, and that's just how people are. It's like people have suggestions for improvement or they, they think they know, you know, you watch a football game on Sunday, it's like, oh, the coach is an idiot. He should have done this. It's like, well... You know, the coach is probably more experienced than you are, but you're entitled to your opinion on on how it should have been different. And again, there's no there's no arguing with your experience. It's like that's the thought that popped into your head. You're 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 welcome to like report that, um, and people can agree or disagree or whatever. Um, and yeah, and the, again, I think it's something the game developer should just be introspective about. Um, if if a whole bunch of people say you should have done this, and it's something that the game developer tried and it didn't work out, that's still, I think there's still something interesting there, um, because the game developer, you know, in that in that case, arguably sort of failed to communicate why this idea didn't, like, wouldn't have worked, or something like that, if that makes sense. Is, 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 there, is there anything that you could point to from uh, sort of the, the response to, to Bastion that you, you know, looked at and said, yeah, you know what, that is something that we need to think about when we start, you know, sort of conceptualizing the next project? Um, I, I wish there was. I wish I could say, like... <laughs> it was a perfect uh, game, no flaws. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that. It's more like I, I wish there was all this stuff that I could tell you, oh, we learned so much, and it's like now we know to avoid all of these pitfalls and we know to play to our best strengths and all this kind of stuff, and it's like... The, the reality of it has been has been different for us where it's it's just been its own weird like challenging project where in, in a lot of respects it it just feels it's no surprise from a certain point of view because we wanted to like not not make not make the same game but 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 follow many aspects of the same process that led to the game in the first place which is like an exploratory process by its nature. I don't mm-hmm. think our games come off feeling like experimental or anything, but we don't design them 
like from like a design document, we don't have a well-formed idea at the beginning and we just kind of like figure it out as we go along. And that means, um, you know, that, that probably isn't the most efficient way of cranking out a game, but um, it's what, uh, it's what's worked for us. Um, but the, you know, the consequence for us is that, yeah, there aren't like a whole bunch of findings and stuff that like we, we've been able to like leverage this time around. Um, it's just, it's just really been its own thing. Um, I, yeah, the, and in fact, like there are a number of things that, that worked well on Bastion that we think are like proprietary to Bastion. So we don't want to do them again out of like, like kind of out of principle. Like we know that they work. We know we can fall back on some of those things, but we think that, they're they're part of what makes Bastion feel like Bastion. So and and like so, what's so important to us about Transistor is just for the game to have its own identity. Um, and that means that means um, finding finding new ways of doing certain things. Um, like uh, to give you an example, um, and this this is kind of a I think a revealing example. Um, we still use voiceover very heavily. So I think like to the typical player they're like, oh, they're doing narration again, or whatever. But from our point of view, it's not narration. It's a very different narrative mode. Um, it wasn't even a foregone conclusion that we were going to use uh, voiceover again. Um, so, and like the, the, the particular way in which we're using voice in this game compared to how we used it in Bastion to us was like the source of, you know, much, much debate and much, much experimentation um, until we finally you know, got to what, we, what we've shown thus far. So I think, yeah, externally, it may not seem like a big change, but to us, um, we are trying to find a, a new path um, and uh, something, you know, something that we could be equally happy with to what we have been able to do in the past. I mean, it, it seems like that, you know, you, you, know, you <laughs> talked about how, you know, sort of avoiding the sort of being sort of a slave to, to a design doc and allowing yourselves to sort of organically go, you know, just kind of, it seems like even when in speaking to, you know, sort of internalizing some of the feedback to Bastion is more just you guys have a gut feeling of what works and what doesn't work and sort of just sort of see where that takes you as opposed to, well, X, Y, and Z, put it into a spreadsheet, people didn't like this, and then we'll work on that in the next one. Yeah. It's more just sort of a, okay, we know what worked, we know what we didn't work, we don't have to vocalize that and have that spelled out and articulated, we'll just sort of figure that out as we go into the next one. Yeah, no, I think I think that's definitely more more our, our style. I mean, I think our our intuitions around around games I think are, are pretty are pretty strong. Um, we try to test that very often so as to not get too kind of caught up in our own way of thinking. So you know, we um, we are we're always open to like being wrong. I think about uh, about even like pretty core assumptions uh, of our design. But yeah, we. Uh, we have a sense of what we at least want to try, um, what we think will be interesting, and we'll we'll put it together and and see what we think. And then you know, nine times out of ten, we'll we'll change it and kind of keep changing it. There are certain aspects of this game's design that like we've been swirling around um, different different iterations of um, kind of different different systems in the game, kind of over and over. Um, and we we have a sense that we'll we'll know we'll know it when we when we get there. Um, we don't necessarily know when that's going to be, and it just it just takes time for everything to come together. So, like one one thing that is very much uh, still intact, um, compared uh, like you know between Bastion and Transistors. Like on Bastion, our goal was very much like a complete feeling game. We we would use that word over and over during development. Like 
we didn't want it to feel like it had tacked on features or whatever that that everything in the game just felt like it should be there and should be connected um, and that you know by the time you got to the end you felt satisfied with the with whatever experience that you had that was like sort of the overall experiential goal and what we were driving toward intuitively and that's very much the same on this game like we want to make something that just just once again just feels complete um, and um, and that's you know the definition of that um, will, will like the exact definition of that will vary you know considerably based on like the implications of the design and the story and all that stuff like um, what complete what complete means um, is different for each game. So yeah, it's kind of finding that um, for this game that that has been a big uh, you know kind of what we've been working on all this time, I guess. Um, I want to mention for for folks that are watching, if you want to uh, drop some questions uh, in the chat as we head towards uh, the the end of the show, uh, if you have any questions for us or for Greg, feel free to to drop them in there, and I'll uh, pluck a few out uh, before we uh, head towards the finish line. But um, I'm curious if, you know, as a smaller developer, and I wonder if this is, is different in, in relation to your experience over at EA, is that the bigger the team, the more resources you can, you know, when you build something and it doesn't work, maybe, you know, there's less risk in getting rid of it and starting over. But that when you're a smaller developer and you maybe spend six to eight months working on something and then all of a sudden you realize it doesn't work, you know, cutting stuff, you know, just throwing away big chunks of, of effort and work seems like that's a much uh, more dangerous proposition. Uh, I find I find the opposite to be true, um, in fact, um, which which may come as a surprise. But so uh, on a big team, uh, it's it's quite literally a bigger investment of resources to have to throw something away because if like sixty people work on something for three months, that's uh, that's just a more expensive thing to throw out than if like two people work on something for three months. Um, as a maybe you know as a as a ratio of like the the total development resources, it might be about the same. Um, but I think as on a smaller team, um, if the key people on the project are like, this has got to go, then it's gonna go. You don't have to talk mm. to like thirty, forty people and convince them or whatever, or even just tell them that like their work, is now being cut or whatever. Like we have heavily invested in a multiplayer mode. You know, six months people have been tuning, designing, playtesting, putting art, like making beautiful maps, and now we're cutting multiplayer entirely, which is like a thing that has happened, I think, on a number of uh, big uh, AAA games um, over the years. Well, um, that's um, sorry, just that's something that yeah. Ken Levine talked a little bit about when he was, you know, going around doing interviews for for Bioshock Infinite. Like there was like when it was discovered that they had experimented with a multiplayer mode and then cut it, it turned into this big yeah. news story about how, you know, oh, they had the, they spent all these resources and worked all this time on a multiplayer mode that didn't work, whereas Ken's attitude was, yeah, we tried something, we experimented with it because we have yeah. that creative freedom and it didn't work, so we didn't do it. Like, he had this yeah. totally other perspective than from the way the press and, and everyone else kind of treated it because I think that's so not the norm when it comes to large studios. Like you said... You're, you have a smaller team, you have less people, you can afford to experiment a little bit, whereas with them, you know, looking at those kinds of resources, it seems like a huge waste, at least from the traditional perspective. Yeah, although his, uh, although his perspective, uh, I mean, sa sounds very reasonable. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just, uh, my, my only point there is, like, if nothing else, those types of decisions affect more people on a bigger team. Um, so, so they could be more complicated as a result. They're, they're, more, they're more costly um, in... 
in resources, you know, both financial and human. Um, so on a on a smaller team, I think like we're also you know not being bound to like a design document. We could just we could just sort of um, make like lateral shifts a lot. Uh, th- it, like our point of view is that. We ne- I, I never think of things as like being thrown out. It's all it's always like building your understanding toward what you will eventually do. So I I, I never I, I or almost never uh, feel like you know oh god we just wasted our time on this because uh, unless and unless unless the scenario is like you could have done A or B and you did A and then after doing A it turns out that B was the right thing. But I never have that experience. It's always like after doing A. It didn't work out, but now your understanding is deepened of what you really need to do, and now you, you try something else. Sometimes you kind of end up going in, in circles a little bit. I alluded to that. Like we've been, we sort of gravity. It feels like we're caught in kind of a gravity loop around. Like we're getting closer and closer to something, kind of a spiraling towards something. Um, but um, yeah, it never feels like you're just drifting away from. Uh, at least for uh, I mean I think we've been fortunate in that regard. We we it always feels like we're, like we're you know the 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 sort of uh, resolution of what we're trying to accomplish is like increasing um, that we're getting a clearer picture of what uh, the final thing will eventually be and and stuff like that. So we're um, it's tough when there isn't always like a clear finish line in sight and you're just like I don't know when this is ever going to be good. And uh, again sometimes that's just an intuitive call of like you know what. Uh, I think we're barking up the wrong tree here. Let's try something else, or let's come back to this and see how we feel about it later, et cetera. And that's all. I think all those things, all those types of moments, do benefit in our case from just having a smaller group of people working on this stuff because it's it's just all intuitive, and you don't have to call a big meeting with like 30 people to tell them that their features on hold or whatever. It's just like day in and day out, very tactical. Um, that 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 may not work well for everybody, but it's it's served us uh, pretty well thus far. In our case, and, and I wonder if you know, just by virtue of being a, a small team, you know, you get like on a small team, you can get a better sense of how everything is sort of interlocking into the sort of like overall design in a way that you don't get in much bigger games that have sort of independent teams working on some on like a big feature that's not going to kind of get plugged into the game until very late into development. So you don't even have a sense of how the whole thing is coming together because your head is so far down in your very individual feature that either you're working on or your team's a part of. Whereas on a smaller team, you know, every single day you're probably seeing how that stuff is starting to come together and help the game or hinder the game or at least, you know, if nothing else, change it in some some way. Yeah, I think there there is um, uh, there is likely uh, truth to that as well. Um, I, I haven't worked on like an ultra big production, you know, I've worked on a team that's like 100 people, but not like, you got teams that are like 500 or 1,000 people where you have like entire feature sets being developed, you know, in other countries or whatever by teams that have nothing to do with yours. I've never had that experience, but I wonder what that must be like because on a team like that, even if you are um, like playing the game as much as you can during development, then there's still like a good chance that there's like a big portion of the game that you don't even have access to. So, like an analogy, this is maybe somewhat of a obnoxious analogy. So forgive me, but it's like if you're part of your little uh, like platoon of dudes, it's like you know who everyone is, as opposed to like you're part of like a big battalion. Like you don't know what's happening over on the eastern front. It's like they might be winning or losing the battle over there, but you can only focus on 
your immediate surroundings and on a small team like that's kind of all you have to be concerned with and that that helps uh, I, I think for us you you know we it comes with a certain sense of comfort that's where like uh, that's where even wanting to like form the studio came from it's like w w what if we could make a game on our own terms where at no point you know could we be affected by like the decision of someone in some office in some other part of the country or something like that mm -hmm. like we can we're we're open to failure but like let it be on our own terms um if we're gonna fail let's have it be because we did something stupid and we can look back on it and and say man we shouldn't have done that we should have done some other thing as opposed to like feeling like you know we're we don't want to feel like we're victims of our own fate or anything not not that we you know ever really felt that way in the past but it, there, there's something very very uh, you, you know um, kind of uh, affirming about the idea that we could let, let's see if we could do this all on our own without without um, other people's help um, so we we like that feeling we like to kind of sweat all the details ourselves and and see what comes of it and we don't we don't know um, that we like to identify when we have or haven't made the right calls and all that kind of stuff so um, that's and it's it's nice just being in a situation where you uh, at least for me where like I don't I don't have a super easy time of like meeting new people um, when I like know everyone around me pretty much and I know where they stand and I know what it's like to work with them late at night um, as the case may be or I know you know what what makes them angry I know what makes them happy and stuff like that and having having that basis having that like knowledge of, of the people around you, I think you could get, um, you could get like really good teamwork out of that when everyone kind of knows what makes each other tick. Great. Can I just say I've missed your military analogies for everything Thank related you. to video games. <laughs> I, I, don't know that why... I loved back in the day and I haven't gotten nearly enough of in the last few yeah, years. I, I don't know. I, yeah, my uh, the way I always explained it away, you, you may remember. Yeah. I, I've never, I'm fortunate to have never, had to be in that kind of situation and all I could do is you know draw the analogy yeah we're people who grew up playing video games like all of our right. I, like 90% of our experiences are like vicarious we like we like have uh, our heads are full of imagined imagined important experiences <laughs> so I could only you know I could only think about things that are more important than what I what I actually do uh, Alex some some folks are, are asking if you are uh more or less excited uh, by some of the Xbox One stuff based on I mean, some of the, some of the early stuff that we're seeing, given that you know neither you or I uh, kind of has access to, to everything yet. I mean, the trick with that stuff is that a lot of it's multi-platform. You know, a lot of the, these launch games are on both platforms, so you know, a, a lot of these games I'm just kind of looking forward to playing. I don't really care which system it's on. If you're talking about, like, what specific to each platform, yeah, I think the Xbox Ones is a little bit more enticing. But that's mostly because I'm a big Forza fan, so, you know, I naturally want to play the next Forza game as soon as humanly possible. I like Dead Rising, and, you know, as much as Dead Rising 3 has given me pause at times during their promotional cycle, I still want to go kill a whole bunch of zombies, you know? Like, I'm totally down for that. Rise is not a game I will probably play, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, like, there's other stuff, you know, I'll, I'm looking forward to Peggle 2, for God's sakes, you know, so there's there's probably just a little bit more that I'm looking forward to playing at launch on Xbox One, but it's not by a wide margin by any stretch, it's like a couple of games. 
Uh, Greg, a lot of people were asking uh, for for your thoughts on Crimson Dragon, given that it sounds like you have a a long history of loving that series. Yeah, I well, the early reviews this morning have not looked good, so that's uh, I, I oh, no. I'll be the first to say you know reserve judgment. It's like if you still want to play it, go play it. Don't let the reviews discourage you. But it's a it's a bummer. You know, from what I from what I've seen so far, I, I had my fingers crossed for uh, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I, I wish I wish it was getting you know astronomical reviews like the new Zelda or something like that. Um, but um, yeah, I I was yeah I loved uh, I loved uh, Panzer Dragoon Orta for uh, for the Xbox. Um, so I, I I had high hopes for this one. Still curious uh, to to check it out. But yeah, like, like I was saying before, you know the, the these launch lineups uh, tend to be uh, full of full of surprises. Um, I um, yeah, I, I, I do want to. I, I actually am very curious to hear more about Rise because um, it sounds like it, it seems like it's been so kind of polarizing uh, during its uh, like with how it's been promoted so far. I'm curious to know more about what the final game is like. Um, and uh, Loco Cycle was another one I was like really excited. Like I think the Twisted Pixel guys are awesome and uh, and have done some really good work. Um, so I, I'm I'm curious to uh, see how that pans out. And... Yeah, I, I have no idea what to make of that game, honestly. Like I've I've seen it in action a few times, and there are definitely parts that have made me go, "Okay, that's really funny. That's really bizarre," and I kind of yeah. love that. But I don't know. Like as a game, I I've never I've never actually gotten the chance to get hands on with it, and I think they have offered very few chances to do that. So I I'm I'm still a little hesitant about that one overall. Yeah, and that's a, I think it's like another. Yeah, like making a, it a. It's just, as as Patrick alluded to, just like just shipping a game for a new console is like incredibly. Um, it's got to be a pretty rough process, I think, on everyone involved. So, not not that not that the end, you know, not that the person buying the thing should care because they just plunked down hundreds and hundreds of dollars for the ability to play a new game. Their expectations like should be high. They should be very, very high. They should expect something that is like superior to what they've been able to play uh, in the past. And uh, but I think the result of that is that you know these games do get held to a very high standard um, and are made under duress at the same time. So it's it's I think that that's you know I don't know. I wonder why we were were not in the days of like you know in the good old days in the glorious Halcyon <laughs> days. You had these like Mario sixty four. Super Mario World, these like these like definitive launch titles that like arguably never got surpassed like for the entire console history is like that's that's it like you know Mario th that's not really true but stuff like Super Mario World is like a classic um, even though it was the very first game for the system I I don't know a whole bunch of things have changed I think to make it so that that type of thing is not <laughs> it's not really possible anymore, I guess. Yeah. Even even with Nintendo, I mean, their their lineup for, uh, you know, the the new, new Zelda, new Mario. It's like, man, if that stuff had been there day one, on the 3DS or the Wii U or whatever, it, it, things. I don't know. I don't know how things would be different, but it would be. It's interesting to think about. I think. Instead, all they had time to do was remake Ocarina of Time or whatever it was that they, they yeah. put out on there, which, whatever, hey, that game's still great. But, yeah, at least, at least it was, yeah, 
at least at least it was that much. Um, yeah, for for sure. But uh, yeah, better better than if you guys have probably quickly forgotten that the DS launched with that horrifying version of Mario sixty four. Oh, that that's was weird. Right. The, I thought people liked that game. It was just like hard to control. I guess like the novelty of having it on a DS may have um, somehow outweighed some of the some of the yeah. issues or something like that. Well, it came with that weird uh, like thumb nub that you Did like strapped oh, to your right. finger to so that you could simulate. Because uh, I think oh, that right. if I remember, the DS could like put an analog stick on the touch screen, and then you used the nub to try and simulate what it would be like to be controlling... It was... Oh, a what bizarre, a bad idea that was. A bizarre was. thing. A very bizarre thing. Yeah. Um, well, as, we, as we bring this uh, show to a close, Alex, what are, what are you up to this week? It is Monday, so you're, you're, you're head down in reviews all week? Yeah, I got I got PS4 reviews for days, son. Um, so I, I got to get through this sports stuff, and then I'm going to try and get through AC4 if I can, though there's a lot of that game, so we'll see how that goes. Um, once the X-Bone gets here on Friday, I will... Probably picking up some of the slack on that thing as well. Just reviews, 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 and I think uh, also I'm going to be on bonus round this week. I, that that sort of happened somehow, so I, right. I'm apparently going to be guesting on that uh, this week. So look for that eventually. Cool. Well, I'll be you know I'm in the office, and I think uh, Greg and Brad are going to be really busy with with uh, reviews and stuff like that. So that will probably just leave Vinny and I to do a bunch you mean of Jeff dumb and Brad? stuff. Jeff and Brad, yes. Yeah. Greg, actually, uh, yeah, yeah, are you free? I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to spoil it. <laughs> yeah, send, send them over. <laughs> I've got some JRPGs that need reviewing. Yeah, I like those. Phoenix Wright, well, Phoenix Wright isn't a JRPG, but no. Uh, yeah, we need you to do an all-day Phoenix Wright uh, live stream, 24 hours I, straight I would, of Phoenix Wright. Yeah, I would do this. Phoenix Wright is good. Um, so I'll be doing that all week. Uh, we'll be doing a bunch of dumb stuff, but... Uh, but Greg, when can uh, when can people expect to to see a little bit more about Transistor? Uh, well, we are aiming to be done with it sometime early next year. We don't have a release date announced yet or anything. Apologies for my dog yapping in the background. Uh, I don't know how much more we're gonna show. We'll be at PAX East. Uh, I think I think almost certainly, which is like in March next year. But we, uh, I think at this point we've shown mostly what we what we want to show with it. We don't want to get into that whole pattern of like here's new enemies and new levels and stuff like that. It's like, um, hopefully people are intrigued by what they've seen of it so far. And now we're just, uh, we're just working on getting it, getting it done. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll have more news, uh, before, before too long, but probably not, not more, uh, before the end of the year or something like that. If I had to guess. Cool. Well, Greg, really appreciate you, uh, yeah, getting up, joining us on the morning show. Hopefully we, uh, hopefully we can have you again, uh, on uh, yeah. sometime soon. Yeah, best of luck on the on transistor, man. Looking Thank forward you, to it. Thank you. All Take right, care, thanks, guys. guys. All right, Alex, I will talk to you on Friday. Woo.